When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Michael Beller. It is Sunday, July 18th. Got a couple prospects coming up, at least one that's already up, one more that could be on the way. So some pretty interesting players to bid on this week, so we're here to break it all down. How's it going for you on this Sunday, Beller? It is going good, my friend. Beautiful day here in Chicago. Uh, looking forward to making some bids, maybe from uh, the Lake Michigan shores. Get to the beach later today. It's uh, a great way to wrap up a weekend, I think. How you doing? Seems like a great beach day. I'm feeling good. I was really into Game 5 of the NBA Finals. I am a... Oh, yes. I'm a bandwagon <laughs> Bucks fan at this point in my life. I was a I was a huge Bucks fan back in college. And at the time of the Ray yeah. Allen trade, I just lost it. My, my 19-year-old brain could not handle that situation <laughs> at all. So I punted. I wasn't there for the E. Gian Leon era. Uh, I missed a lot of bad Bucks basketball. I wasn't a big fan. I forgot about EG online. <laughs> when when Bucks and Six became a thing, I was nowhere to be found. I obviously understand where it came from and what it's about now. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's been a great finals. I think just from like a more yeah. even like a more objective perspective, I, I see a lot of people saying this is one of the better finals of the last you know, decade or so. Uh, but basketball stuff, you know, for another time. <laughs> I want to start this week again by focusing on hitters and probably the best hitter out there in a decent number of leagues, um, in part because of NFBC rules and because he's been in the minors all season, is Jaron Duran. And Duran, of course, is an outfielder for the Red Sox. Uh, he was scheduled to debut on Thursday. That game got postponed. Then they kept him out of the starting lineup on Friday against a lefty, Jordan Montgomery. So he actually debuted on Saturday, had a single in his first big league game. Duran is a player that changed a lot during his time at the alternate site. He added a lot of power last year. That power carried over to the beginning of the season at AAA. He's always had speed. He's always had a pretty good hit tool. And he's actually a good defender in center field. So he really ticks a lot of boxes for us as fantasy players because the defense can stabilize the playing time. And even if the power or speed aren't there immediately, there's reason to believe that it will get there sooner rather than later. Uh, and of course, to make room for him, Enrique Hernandez, who's been great defensively in center field and has hit very well this season, is just moving back around in a super utility role. So I see a path for Duran to play a lot. The fact that they didn't let him debut against the lefty on Friday gives me this idea that maybe they want to be a little more careful with him and just want to go big side platoon. How does that impact the types of leagues in which you're interested in picking him up? It doesn't really. I think you still want him across the board. It's it's hard, right? On January 18th, how many realistic opportunities are you going to have the rest of the season to just add a guy who can make this sort of impact to your team, who can be a power speed combo player? So even if he is in a big side platoon, 
I still want him everywhere. Even if he's just going to play, you know, five times a week, I want him everywhere because those could be five really good games a week or three of them could be really good. They're going to get a, a lot of performance, I think, out of Jaron Duran and the defense is going to keep him in the lineup. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he hits his way into being an everyday player or maybe just since it was his literal debut, they'd said, let's you know, put him on the best ground possible when he's making his major league debut and get him in there uh, against, a, against a righty. So I, I feel like this is someone who regardless of what his playing time expectations are right now. We know they're not zero, and we know they're not small. So I think you want him across the board. to be a big-time impact player in fantasy leagues the rest of the way. Yeah, I think with the comments that Chaim Bloom made about Durant's promotion, they seemingly want to keep him up for good. This wasn't a, we're going to bring him up and yo-yo him up and down. Obviously, that can happen. If he doesn't hit enough, he can go back to AAA for a few weeks before the end of the season, and maybe that happens in two weeks with the trade deadline just around the corner if they don't like what they see. But 15 homers, 12 steals at AAA, just 46 games this season, just a really good, well-rounded player. I think we're hitting the point in the season, too, now that we're into the second half. If you had money left, if you have not been bidding aggressively, maybe you've been very fortunate with injuries or you've been unfortunate and people have just been outbidding you for players you want, you have to spend it somewhere. So I think Duran is one of the better hitters we're going to see get called up down the stretch. We could have a couple other guys. Bobby Witt Jr. could debut or Adley Rutschman. Like the non-contending teams could bring guys up. Yep. We don't want to rely on that. Um, so I think we're looking at like at least a 10% share of your original budget, but probably a bit more to get Duran because he can help in all the categories. If you had to push up even to, to 20%, assuming you had about half of your original budget left, would you be that aggressive for Duran given where we're at in the season? I, I think so. And for all the reasons you just said, right? You can't take this money home with you. You can't roll it over to next season in most places. It doesn't turn into literal money that you get to put in your pocket after the season. So this is going to be, I mean, how many guys, I, there is a non-zero chance that Jaron Duran is the best player uh, taken on waivers from today through the rest of the season. We know that is true. And so I want to be in on that guy. So yes, I would be comfortable going you know, 20, 25% of what I've got to uh, to get him. Yeah, so be prepared to spend up if you'd like Jaron Duran to be on your roster the rest of the way. Could be a nice payoff, though, given all the different categories that he contributes toward. I was a bit surprised digging into roster rates uh, just a little while ago. J.D. Davis is available in a greater number of leagues than I expected, over uh, half of CBS leagues, I believe. I'm definitely in on the bat. There's no question about mm -hmm. that. And we just found out that Francisco Lindor has an oblique injury. It's a grade two oblique injury. So they're down one everyday infielder, which I think uh, softens some of the, the risk of part-time guys chewing into Davis's workload in the near term. But uh, what are your expectations for Davis going forward? Yeah, I'm with you too. I think he's going to play every day. I mean, this team in the Mets has really failed to take advantage of what's been going on behind them in the standings. You know, they really had an opportunity to put some distance between themselves and the rest of the NL East uh, over the you know last couple of weeks, especially once they got healthy, and they didn't do it. And it's in part because their offense just really has been uneven all season. Obviously, a lot of this had to do with injuries to guys like Davis, but the point remains that they need to be getting more out of the lineup going forward. And so I think that just adds up to J.D. Davis being in there every day, hitting right in the middle of the order somewhere. And so, like you said, the bat, I think we can buy the bat pretty comfortably at this stage of his career. And so I'm in on him too. An easy guy to get on board with all leagues, regardless of size, even regardless of what you have. Maybe you don't feel like you need a third baseman, but J.D. Davis is such a great player, period, that I would want to find a way to get him on my team unless I was like totally 
totally I've got uh in in top wars I've got uh Manny Machado, Yoan Moncada and uh, Nelson Cruz, right? So I've got corner infield blocked, third base blocked, utility blocked. There's nothing I could do. I would have to be in that extreme of a situation to not go after J.D. Davis. Yeah, I mean, I think he's an impact player in just about all formats. We've seen pretty big numbers from him going back to 2019, his first year with the Mets. Easy 20 home run power, but uh, also a good source of average in OBP. So it fits well in a lot of leagues. The only thing he really doesn't do is run. That's fine. He hits enough to mm-hmm. offset that. So I'm definitely in on Davis. And I think it's going to be probably a little less than what it takes to get Duran, but one of the other guys who's out there in a decent number of places where you are going to have to spend up if you do want to go ahead and get him on your roster. Uh, Cole Calhoun actually returned from an injury just before the All-Star break, but he's also floating around in a decent number of leagues, and I keep wondering if he's also going to be on the move because Arizona is a clear-cut seller, and there are a few teams out there that could use some corner outfield upgrades. We're talking about a guy who's had a pretty up-and-down sort of track record in recent years, but 33 home runs back in the year of the rabbit ball in 2019. And usually he's just a solid player. Even if he's a low average guy, it's like 20 home run pop and pretty good run production based on where he hits in the order. Uh, What is your interest level in Calhoun where available? Yeah, I think we know exactly what sort of player he is. He's exactly the guy that you laid out. So my interest level isn't overwhelming because he does have his flaws and it's not the hardest thing in the world to find 20 homer pop sort of guys. You probably have a ton of them already on your roster. He's not necessarily the guy who's going to move the needle in a big way. I think I would have to be power needy or outfield needy to be going after him. I think there's someone who fits that bill in every single league. I think Colt Calhoun's an easy guy to get on a roster in a 14 or a 15 team mixer. I don't think there's any question about that. It just doesn't necessarily need to be you. It doesn't necessarily need to be me who's going after him. I would have to need power and or an outfielder to really get in on him. If I was in that position, I would be pretty interested in him because of that. Just You just know what you're getting. You're getting a 20-homer pop sort of guy. You know the rates aren't going to be great. If he gets traded to another spot, hopefully he'll have a little bit better of an environment around him, a better lineup context than what we're going to get from him in Arizona. So there's reasons to like him, but I think you need to, you need to need what he offers if you're really going to go after him. It's not like a J.D. Davis or Jaron Duran situation for me. Well, I think for me, you're you're accepting a batting average hit. If you get yep. good batting average, you know, you're lucky. He's hitting 263 this season, but he hasn't topped 244 in the last four years. Projection systems all reflect that. Interestingly, though, the power output and the run production, just the overall offensive value, depending on which projection system you look at, Calhoun comes out somewhat comparable to J.D. Davis. So I think he's the kind of guy that will go for less than Davis, but might provide similar value, albeit without the average, as we uh, mentioned before. So. Wouldn't forget about him, would at least make him a contingency bid as someone mm-hmm. behind Davis if you're looking for some outfield help this weekend. There's one more outfielder I definitely want to get to, and that's Oscar Mercado. He is back up in the big leagues right now. As it stands currently, Cleveland is not pushing his playing time to an everyday level just yet, but they are still playing Bradley Zimmer. They are still playing Daniel Johnson. If Mercado hits, he'll play more. And I think the thing that has me encouraged about him is that in the brief time that he's been back in the big leagues this year, he is striking out less than he did in the shortened season. A 25% K rate is tolerable. He's walking more like he did in the minor leagues. He's got a 10% walk rate. Again, it's only 14 games, but we're seeing some underlying changes from Mercado that are encouraging. And given the makeup of this depth chart, to me, it seems like a no-brainer to at least include him. If you're in a 15-team league and he's still out there, he can help 
potentially in every category, maybe a slightly below average contributor again in the batting average category. But unlike Cole Calhoun, I think you might actually get maybe eight to 10 steals from Mercado if things break just right with his playing time the rest of the way. Yeah, not only because of what they're trotting out there in the outfield every single day, but also where Cleveland sits in the standings. White Sox are starting to run away with the AL Central here. Doesn't feel like the Indians, as unlikely as they were at remaining in the race in the first half, doesn't feel like they're going to push the White Sox or really push for a wild card spot. And Oscar Mercado's a guy who, you know, this team is not that far away from competing. Oscar Mercado could be the guy who is an important player on the next good Cleveland team, the next contending team in Cleveland. Definitely could have Oscar Mercado as its everyday center fielder. So I think the uh, Indians owe it to themselves to see what they have in him the rest of the way. I, I, do, I don't see him becoming an everyday player without hitting. He's not just going to get that by dint of his reputation. But I do think he's going to play a lot, and I do think there's a clear, obvious path to him being an everyday player. The speed's going to be there for him. There's always going to be a little little bit of pop in this bat as well. I would rather go after him than Cole Calhoun if I was shooting for upside. Yeah, we know what Cole Calhoun is. I would rather go for Mercado if I needed an upside sort of play in my outfield because I do think that if he can just walk at this rate and keep the strikeouts down, there's a really nice player in here. I think you can keep the bids pretty light in the leagues that use fab too, probably in the three to five percent range at most. Maybe that past reputation, the excitement we had about him going into the shortened season. Maybe that's still lingering in some places, but I do like what he brings to the table. And I'm probably opposite you in this one where I'd I'd prefer Calhoun to Mercado, but what I need categorically could also guide that decision too. If stolen bases are really clumped together in a league, that could be enough to go ahead and prioritize Mercado instead. I guess the other thing to think about, too, if you expect Cole Calhoun to be traded, maybe he's on a team that's so much better than the the Diamondbacks that they can back off his playing time a little bit. He's a, a regular but not an everyday sort of guy there if that happens, whereas Mercado, they could go the other direction. They could literally play him every day for the final two months of the season with reason if they don't <laughs> change up the outfield mix in the near future. Uh, one other bat that I think became a little more interesting in the last couple of days is Patrick Wisdom. I think with the way the Cubs move a few guys around, Jock Peterson going to Atlanta gives Wisdom more chances to play against same-handed pitching. So do you agree with that assessment? Because I think just in terms of what Wisdom has done power-wise, a 264, 315, 620 line with 13 homers in 45 games, that gets people pretty excited. There is a question of play discipline here. Only eight walks against 51 Ks in those 45 games, but is Wisdom going to play enough and do enough damage to become more shallow league relevant now that Jock Peterson's out of the picture? Yeah, I think so, and Chris Bryant could be out of the picture too, and then he would really be locked in as an everyday player. I think the power's for real. I mean, the 13 homers in the 45 games, uh, that speaks a lot for itself, but he had 31 homers in 2019. We all know what 2019 was at the AAA level. 31 homers in 2017, 15 homers in just uh, 421 plate appearances in 2018. So the guy can mash. I mean, the guy can hit for some legitimate, legitimate power. You're going to get that from him, and you're going to get him playing mostly every day with the Cubs in obvious sell mode, and it will be every day if they do indeed find a taker and move on from Chris Bryant. So I think Patrick Wisdom, if you need the pop, he's going to provide it and he's going to get to play for this team basically every day down the second half. So I think an easy guy to get on board with if you're looking for power. Definitely the kind of guy that has some batting average downside, but they also don't have a lot of competition for him playing time wise. And Mm -hmm. if they want to see if they have a future piece there, you know, exhausting his playing time the rest of the way is one way to sort that out. 
A uh, whole bunch of names for deeper leagues that we're going to run through pretty quickly. I noticed Elvis Andrews still playing a lot. His season-long numbers are just awful. He's got a 237, <laughs> 277, 322 line, but eight steals. And unless the A's trade for a shortstop, which is totally possible. They've been linked to Trevor Story. They could go out and maybe trade for Anderton Simmons and just go all defense at the position. But if if Andrews keeps this job, do you have any interest in him in leagues where you're scrambling for middle infield help, given the difficulty of finding steals on the wire? Yeah, scrambling for middle infield help and also stolen base needy. If I check both of those boxes, then I can swallow the batting average hit. I can swallow the fact that he's not really going to give me much else and just go after what he does give me, which is a little bit of middle infield help and some speed. If I need both of those, I can go after him. If I don't need one or the other, I'm pretty easily passing on him. A couple other names to throw at you here. Gavin Sheets playing a lot for the White Sox. He's actually started mm-hmm. every game for the White Sox since June 29th. He has first base and outfield eligibility in some leagues. Kind of a similar profile to Patrick Wisdom, actually. Yeah. 244, 340, 600, four homers in 14 games so far. We know Eloy Jimenez is making a lot of progress in his rehab assignment, so I think once he comes back, that could crowd things in a way that makes it more difficult for Sheets to play, given that Jimenez is going to be limited to left field and DH, and then Vaughn is in that mix along with Abreu. But Sheets can at least play in right field, and if they don't want to play Brian Goodwin as much, there's a path for Sheets to hang out a little longer, at least until Luis Robert comes back a bit later this season. How do you view Sheets going into bids today? If I need short-term power, I can go after him. I would also be concerned about the White Sox being active in the trade market over the next 12 days. uh, I would expect this team to go out and make a move with the fact that they can pretty much lock up the AL Central and be real players in the postseason. But even with Jimenez and Robert back, they probably need another bat somewhere on this team. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them go out and get that in the trade market. Gavin Sheets, I think, is probably going to be just a short-term guy for us on our radar. But... There's value in that. And so if you need some power right now and you're not trying to be married to the guy for the rest of the season, I could see going after him today. From a current member of the White Sox to a former member, Adam Eaton. Now with <laughs> Two the time Angels. former member. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think he's ever going to get that third opportunity, but uh, bad enough to get DFA'd by the White Sox. Is there any reason to believe that Adam Eaton gets back on track in Anaheim where they have Joe Adele waiting in the wings? And Adele, to his credit, has been striking out less at AAA in recent weeks. Uh, any reason to think Eaton has more than AL-only league appeal? I don't think so. I, I, I really don't understand why the Angels even made this move, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I, you got to fill spots. You need bodies, right? But uh, there's just really nothing here for a non-contending team to be trotting a guy like Adam Eaton out there every single day. So I would expect you know little playing time, or the, the playing time that he does get is really not going to give us too much in the fantasy world. I don't see after what he gave the White Sox and didn't give the White Sox, why we would suddenly expect him to do something different in Anaheim. So I'm staying away unless I'm AL-only outfield needy. Hey, the Angels have a 13.4% chance of making the playoffs, according to fan graphs. <laughs> they're, they're, still, they're still hanging around. Adam they're, Eaton makes that like 13.2%. I think it does go down with Eaton. I think they should have taken the chance on Adele. So yeah, Eaton for me, a monoleague player. A couple other monoleague players just want to mention. Derek Hill back up for the Tigers right now because they DFA'd Nomar Mazzara, and I think once Robbie Grossman gets traded, I'm just kind of writing that in ink, Robbie Grossman will get traded <laughs> yes. between now and the deadline. He's a nice player. He'll be an upgrade for yeah, a contending yeah, for team. Sure. Once that happens, I think you could see Derek Hill play a little bit more. Former first-round pick, added some power a couple of years ago. He's always had speed. 
Uh, just a really interesting guy. Once he gets the chances to play, until that happens, I think we have to wait and use him mostly in yeah. AL-only leagues. I mentioned that Francisco Lindor injury. It's a grade 2 oblique strain. It looks like Luis Guillorme is going to get most of the playing time at shortstop in the short term. We'll see if the Mets are interested in acquiring another shortstop option at the deadline as well. And then there's Kelvin Gutierrez. This is a really deep league pull. Traded from the Royals to the Orioles, called up before the break. Really in the minors, hasn't shown a whole lot of power. Steals a few bases, hits for a decent average, but the time he's been in the big league so far with Kansas City has offered very little with the bat. Just the kind of guy that did get a park upgrade. And in very deep leagues where all you're looking for is someone who plays, Kelvin Gutierrez at least ticks that box, even if he doesn't bring a whole lot of skills behind it. So... A few deep league names out there for those of you playing in 20-team mixers, AL and NL-only leagues, or at least if you want to throw those guys on your watch list. Hill is probably the most watch list relevant guy for mixed leagues in the long run. Yeah, I agree with that, and it's because of the playing time expectations. I do think that Robbie Grossman does find a new home. The Tigers find a new home for him on a contending team, and then Hill could be playing a lot. So uh, that's really the only reason. And these other guys, I I don't see either of them uh, graduating beyond those mono-league, 20-team mixers, things like that. That's where they're going to live for the rest of the season, I think. Yeah, I'm just thinking about an Akil Badu, Daz Cameron, Derek Hill outfield. That's a pretty fun outfield. At least one where you might have a couple guys who are going to be on your next good team playing in it if you're the Tigers. So we definitely want to see that. Let's get to some of the pitching that is available this week. And there's a few two-start pitchers we're going to get to. One guy that's not confirmed, but I think is on the radar in leagues where he's eligible to be picked up. And again, I say that because I know in NFBC leagues, guys that weren't drafted who haven't played in the big leagues this yet cannot be added until they actually start playing. That's Josiah Gray. The Dodgers, of course, have needs in their rotation right now. Clayton Kershaw has the forearm injury. Trevor Bauer still on administrative leave amidst sexual assault allegations. And Gray has been working his way back, stretching out again at AAA. He is their top pitching prospect. David Price has one of those spots right now. The matchups here, this is the classic, if this happens, you know, tough matchup that you don't feel great about, but then the cakewalk that makes you (laughs) take the chance on that first one. I think with Gray, you're almost looking at him in leagues where he's eligible right now more for the future. Or if you're in a league that doesn't require to use him for both of these starts, you're just eyeing up that second start against Colorado and hoping that he does, in fact, get this opportunity. I mean, the Dodgers with pitching development, what more could you ask for, right? And, and Gray is one of those guys. You look at his minor league numbers. He has taken off since he was acquired by that uh, by the Dodgers just a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think I'd take this chance, even if, even if I have to get that San Francisco start. Probably one of those guys, you make this point a lot, and it's a, it's a good point to be making. One of those guys who maybe would be uh, further advanced if he didn't lose the 2020 season. And maybe he would have uh, graduated to the AAA level in 2020 rather than having to wait to 2021 to pitch at that level. So I think there's a lot here to like. And I do think that that Colorado start is worth getting him in there, even if I have to live with the San Francisco start. Because as long as he can give you five, even if he just gives you five innings, the win upside is going to be immense against Colorado. And it's going to exist against San Francisco because you know the Dodgers are a pretty good team. So even though that's a tough matchup, could very easily win that game too. So I do want him. And as you said, this could be someone who sticks in this rotation for a long time, depending on what happens with the other starters in it. So I do like this. I think this is a nice, aggressive move to make on a guy who could provide us with a lot of value over the next couple of months. And I think Gray is among the many players that have, you know, because he's missed time in the minors this season, he was going to have some workload caps going into the year yeah, just because of sure. 
you know, past workloads and how they want to protect his arm. He's only thrown 15 and two-thirds innings so far this year. So I don't think they have to really hold back on how they use him the rest of the way. Like He's got plenty of innings left in the tank based on whatever they wanted him to throw this year because of the time that he has missed. Uh, but I definitely am interested if they give him that opportunity. It was a shoulder injury, so we'll see where the stuff's at. Looking at the last couple outings at AAA, last time out, four and two-thirds innings against Reno, three earned runs, four hits, seven Ks, no walks. So that's really encouraging. A 22-2 strikeout-to-walk ratio for Gray so far yeah. this season in the minors. Uh, some guys who are absolutely available in leagues right now include Caleb Smith. I think we talk about Caleb Smith every other week or so. Postmaster General, of course we do. He just lives right there on that, <laughs> that roster threshold for 10 and 12 team leagues especially. In 15s, he's probably held a bit more consistently yeah. unless you run into some injury trouble. But this is a pretty nice combination of matchups. Home it against is. the Pirates, absolutely. Road against the Cubs, okay, not a soft landing spot, but not necessarily a spot where you're afraid to throw your mid-range starters. So where available, what's your interest level in Caleb Smith? Great two-step. I think he gets a lot of strikeouts this week. And even though it's been, you know, pretty uneven performance for Caleb Smith this season, a 4-5 ERA that pretty much every single ERA, ERA estimator, no matter which one is your favorite, says he's earning, he's striking guys out, right? I mean, he's striking guys out, and that's pretty much what we've always come to expect from Caleb Smith. 81 Ks and 71 and a third this uh, this season. So you look at those two matchups, first Pittsburgh, great. And then at the Cubs, eh, there's some hitters in this lineup that you're still afraid of, but a lot of strikeouts in this lineup too. Up and down, there's going to be a lot of swing and miss in that Cubs lineup. I think Caleb Smith easily gives you 1.3 strikeouts per inning this week, and that's someone who I want in my lineup. So easy guy for me to go after, easy guy for me to like this week, even if I'm out after this week. Yeah, and it's not going to cost a, a fortune to go get him. I mean, I think 2% of your budget, 3% of your budget might be enough in a lot of leagues. If you're in a ultra-competitive main event situation, maybe you have to go a tick more. But I think in those 15-teamers, he's already gone. I think you'd be looking at him more like in the, the online championship and, and leagues that are, are shallow, 10- to 12-team mixed yeah. leagues. Again, it's probably that sweet spot. Let's talk about Tristan McKenzie for a moment. He's had a couple of flashes late in the first half where he's looked a lot better than he did earlier in the season. The problem, I think, continues to be command, and even the fastball velocity isn't where we'd like it to be. He's down a full tick compared to where he was a season ago. Do the recent results try to pull you back in? You can see the matchups. If you're watching us on YouTube at yeah. Houston <laughs> versus Tampa Bay. You're not picking him up yeah. and using him for these two matchups, but do you think there's a chance, given all the issues they've had in their rotation, that he pitches well enough to actually stick and starts to deliver on some of the potential that we saw in him going into the season. Another guy that Cleveland, I think, has to stick with over the second half of the season, unless the walks are just like hilariously overwhelming and they just can't Re, they can't justify trotting him out there because he's walking, you know, five guys in one inning of work. You just can't do that. And as long as he avoids that with that potential that he has and the fact that this team, as I said, when we were talking about Oscar Mercado, really not that far away from being a contending team. A couple of clicks, an ad here, an ad there, maybe an addition by subtraction move, and they're right there again. And so I do think that they need to see what Tristan McKenzie is, what he can be for them in 2022, and perhaps beyond that as well. Another one of these teams we talk about as having just a great, great development track record, and I would just bet on this working out with Tristan McKenzie eventually so long as he can find the strike zone. So if you don't, if you're not forced, compelled 
to start him against Houston and Tampa this week. He's definitely someone who I want to be on in the long run because I do think that there is a lot of ceiling here for the rest of the season. If he can just cut that walk rate to like even even like 10% is something that we can live with with what his uh, ceiling is and the amount of strikeouts he can get. We just can't have him walking 18.9% of batters he faces the rest of the season, the mark that he's put up to this point of the season. Yeah, and I think if you if you do pick him up this week and you stash him, keep an eye on the radar gun because he showed an uptick in velocity in July, has shown one so far compared to where he was in the first three months of the season. Holding that would go a long way toward helping him get back on track. And I don't think the the minor league track record with him doesn't point to prolonged issues with command and control. He wasn't walking guys at any stop. He was young for the level everywhere he was. Uh, it just seems to me that he's the kind of guy that, especially if he gets a bit stronger, if he adds a little muscle in the offseason, could be the kind of guy that we're all very excited about going into 2022, especially if he puts together a nice stretch here to close out this season. Let's get to another guy in your neck of the woods, Alec Mills. He's got a couple of nice starts coming up at St. Louis, home against Arizona. He was an Eno guy going into the season, of course, through a no-hitter late last year against the Brewers. I still owe you beer for that, so hopefully I can get that to you before I move because it's going to be even more of a give me pain some Cal- to do no, it. Wait till after. I- give me some California beer. Give me some, you know, give me some Palo Alto, San Francisco area beer. Oh, you you want that instead of uh, the the spotted cow? That's fine. I can I can happily oblige. It, it is beer owed, regardless of. Uh, what you want. I have, to, I have to cover it. So I'm looking at Mills and he's been brutal so far this year, just in terms of results, but the underlying numbers aren't that bad. Just in terms of the K rate, the walk rate, that stuff all kind of looks like it did a season ago. I think he's a true like back end starter, mm-hmm. but I think a back end starter like Mills can actually be useful in these types of matchups at St. Louis. Definitely not a bad road spot to have to go and then catching the diamondbacks at home, especially if you could split them. I think in daily leagues, Mills is going to be a very popular streamer during the weekend against the diamondbacks. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I don't mind that St. Louis matchup at all. And when you say back end starter, true back end starter, I agree with you. And there are two ways to read that. One is the negative way. He's a true back end starter. He's nothing more than that. He's a number five, whatever. But there's also the positive way that, hey, this is a guy who is for sure good enough to stick in a major league rotation as a four or a five. And as long as those are the expectations you have for him, he's not really going to disappoint you. And so I think that a guy like that, matchups like this, certainly that Arizona one, Pretty easy guy to get on board with. I like Caleb Smith better if I can only have one of these guys for their two-step this week. I would go for Caleb Smith first because of the strikeouts I expect him to give you. But this is a nice fallback option if you do miss out on Caleb Smith. Yeah, I would say a near-min-bid sort of guy. Not necessarily someone you're going to hold on the roster beyond these two starts. A very, very schedule-dependent player. Uh, But I think he is a bit better than he's pitched to this point here in 2021. Got a forgotten guy on the rundown today. That's Tuki Toussaint, and the Braves, of course, have a lot of injuries in their rotation, so the door is open for him to possibly claim a spot and and hold on to it for a while. I think the prospect luster has definitely faded, and we're talking about a guy who's coming off of a shoulder injury, so expectations in the short term should probably be dialed back, but given the need there and given that he was pitching well on his rehab assignment, back-to-back outings where he went six innings, I don't think he faces significant in-start workload restrictions with Atlanta possibly pushing him out there for these two matchups. You like that he went back-to-back for six innings in in those last two because not only does it tell you that they're probably not going to really restrict his workload, but 
tells you that that shoulder's probably feeling pretty well too. And so they don't feel any need to restrict his workload based on health either. So that, that, that's really nice. And so you like to see that. Still think this is a low priority sort of guy. Still think this is a pretty much a min bid situation, especially if you do have to start him after adding him because of that matchup that he's got with the Padres to kick off this week. But someone who does have a little bit of ceiling, someone who does have a little bit of identifiable upside, and that's something that we're always looking for at this stage of the season because uh, you're not really going to just add guys off the wire who can maybe stick in your rotation for the remainder of the season. I don't think Toussaint quite gets to that point, but there's still a a little bit of uh, luster here where we could delude ourselves into believing that he gets to that point. So if that's what you're looking for, I would go after him. I do think that the other guys we've talked about as pure two-star pitchers are pretty easier guys to get onto your team, easier guys that you're going to want on your team uh, more than Toussaint. Yeah, I think Toussaint, probably for now, more of an NL-only sort of pickup and a watch list mm-hmm. guy in most mixed leagues. If, you're, if your ratios are just decimated and you are just trying to play catch-up and hoping to be right with two-star pitchers and close the gap, maybe get a couple points in ERA and whip by the end of the season and, and chase wins and Ks, in that scenario, I think you could probably talk yourself into him as a min-bid or contingency bid player in a 15-team mixed league. I wouldn't go anything more shallow than that right now, especially with these matchups. But nice to see him healthy again, and hopefully we'll see better control from Tuki Toussaint this time around. That's been a major problem for him, really going back three years now in Atlanta. Just walks the world, but has the ability to miss some bats. And if it doesn't work for him as a starter, we are probably hitting that point in his career where they'd probably shift him into the bullpen and see what he can do there. Uh, Braves also turning to Kyle Muller right now. Same matchups there. I don't see a whole lot to get excited about with Muller. I think he's got slightly below average stuff and just kind of average-ish command. So I don't like these matchups. I think I would put him behind Toussaint if I'm looking at these guys in really, really deep leagues. And then I saw a name that I was not very familiar with on the grid. Spencer Watkins, who is starting for the Orioles. When I saw S. Watkins on the Rotowire grid, I thought, Sammy Watkins is going two sports now. I know he's with the Ravens, but it's also just moonlighting with the Orioles. No, not the case. Uh, at Tampa, at Washington, uh, nothing really going there. I think kind of like yeah. Muller, I-, I looked at the underlying numbers, didn't see anything in that profile that stood out to me as particularly strong. Yeah. So I would say AL-only leagues if you're in that desperate situation I described, <laughs> and right. probably only then. So not really any appeal for Spencer Watkins at this time. Let's get to some of the one-start pitchers available. A little more to choose from over there. Eric Lauer, who has pitched to a sub-4 ERA and just mm-hmm. over a strikeout per inning thus far, home against the Royals. So a uh, classic pitch-and-ditch opportunity here to uh, tip the cap to the old fantasy 411 show on MLB Network. But are you in on Lauer for this week just as a streaming option? Absolutely. A very easy pitch and ditch option here. And uh, a guy who, you know, going back over the balance of his career, back to when he was with the Padres and what he's done this season with the Brewers, he's basically a strikeout per inning guy. I think we can pretty much count on that. Uh, earning his sub four ERA to a certain degree as well. This is a great matchup. A guy who uh, is always on our stream radar because of the things that he does provide us and uh, in pretty good supply and also in pretty good reliability. I mean, this is someone who doesn't really blow things up too often so I do think that Eric Lauer nice matchup with the Royals easy guy to get on board with and I like him better than some of the like I would I would rather go for Lauer than Tucson for example uh, unless volume was really a consideration for me but if I wanted the best pitcher in the best spot I would go for Lauer here and just get one start out of him 
yeah, I didn't think a near min bid might be able to get it done at this point as well. And of course, the Brewers are being a little careful with Freddie Peralta. It sounds like he's not pitching again until next weekend because uh, they're monitoring his innings. He, of course, was in the bullpen last year. They don't want to overwork him. So part of that is also continuing to use Lauer as a part of that rotation mix. It looks as though Taylor Widener is going to be back up. This is an unconfirmed start. If he comes back up for the Diamondbacks, he gets a home start against Pittsburgh. I think I would keep him behind Lauer, which is why he's after Lauer on the rundown. But I continue to be amazed by Widener. I just It's only 28 to 30 innings. It's only six starts. I had such low expectations for him that even in a relatively small sample, a sub-3 ERA and a good whip and nearly a strikeout per inning were just things I did not expect to get from him. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, I don't think that we should have expected that really going back over his minor league numbers, uh, that we wouldn't really think he's that kind of pitcher. He got blown up at AAA in the 2019 season. And so I do think that he's pitching a little bit above his head right now, but we're not too concerned with that when you're looking at a matchup with Pittsburgh. This is a pure matchup-based play, but one that is pretty easy to make, one that you should be pretty excited to make if it is available to you. I am in agreement, Lauer first, pretty easily. If I can't get Lauer, that's where Widener enters the discussion for me. It gets pretty dicey from there. A couple of their names, two in the Detroit rotation. One, Matt Manning, a former well, a top prospect who has just not pitched well this year in Toledo or in Detroit. Still in the minors right now. They have to call him up if they're going to actually use him in this spot. Are you interested in Manning at all outside of long-term leagues based on what you've seen yeah. over the course of this year? I'm I'm not. There's always a there's always the desperation caveat that we talk about with pitchers. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. If your if your ratios are totally shot and you're trying to play catch up and get a little bit lucky, uh, or if your ratios are totally shot and you're trying to make up some ground in volume areas and you don't care if you get lucky in the ratio numbers, that caveat always applies. So Matt Manning can qualify for a fantasy league uh, interest in that sort of way. But it has to be that. It has to be that. It has to be long term, and you know, thinking that maybe another off season will get things on track for him. But if that doesn't, if that's not where I'm sitting, then I don't really want to play with fire here. Fourteen home runs allowed in fifty-four and a third innings, split between the Mud Hens and the Tigers so far this year in twelve starts. I just, I can't trust it. I saw him on the mm-hmm. grid, get excited by the the name, but we need to see a little more before we can actually trust Matt Manning in most redraft situations. Believe it or not, I think this other guy, a blast from the past, Willie Peralta, (laughs) is more interesting right now. Big difference for him. He's got a split change he's been throwing. It's a pitch he didn't used to have. Doesn't throw as hard as he used to, but might be attacking hitters with a slightly better game plan. I think if I'm looking for innings and I'm not worried about ratios, Peralta is kind of the equivalent of of Tuki Toussaint. It doesn't have that Mm long-term ceiling where... You could do worse. <laughs> you could you could find a worse <laughs> starter in a worse match. I just like that he's got a new pitch. I, th- I think it's a reason yeah. to kind of step back and, and reevaluate him again. So it was a good call out by Ian Kahn on Under the Radar earlier this week. I think this version of Willie Peralta at least has a chance to be occasionally streamable. And at Kansas City is that kind of matchup mm-hmm. you're looking for for guys who are occasionally streamable. Whenever a guy who, especially a guy who we know well, like Willie Peralta, suddenly has better performance, I think we always want to look for that substantive change. Does he have a new pitch? Is he changing the way his pitch mix uh, is used? Does he suddenly have new velocity? Like We always want to look for something that we can point to as a reason why, other than just 
you know, the short-term vagaries of baseball and everyone's going to have a nice two-start stretch or three-start stretch, whatever the case might be. Willie Peralta has that, as you said, the split change. So that's enough for me to say, hey, maybe this is a slightly new pitcher and that Kansas City matchup, two thumbs up for it for sure. So uh, yeah, someone who I would get on board with maybe right there with Widener. I think I'd rather have Widener, but I would put in like the same level of bid for Peralta with just Widener uh, ranked ahead of him. And then if I don't get him, Peralta would be my next guy. Yeah, like min bid or zero bid or mm-hmm. uh, a min bid plus two, something just real yeah. small, I think, for for guys like that. And curious to see where it goes. Also not going to push it too much if the matchups get a bit more difficult for Peralta in the near future. Let's get to some reliever talk here. Ranger Suarez, perhaps, proving to be the answer that the Phillies are looking for in their bullpen. Like it, it, <laughs> I, I didn't think we'd get down to one clear-cut closer in Philly, but mm-hmm. I'm starting to think there's a chance that Ranger Suarez actually could be that guy. Beller, can you talk me into him or out of him? <laughs> which, which direction are you going to choose? Because I'm kind of lukewarm. I'm kind of like lightly bidding where I need saves. I'm not aggressive. Uh I'm not ignoring him. Do you have a stronger pull with Suarez? So I don't have a stronger pull. That's pretty much where I am with him also. But I would choose the talking into side because of what a nightmare this bullpen has been. I mean, they've been so bad this season, uh, really up and down from, you know, a pretty, there's some talented arms back there. You know, we expect more out of Hector Neers. We expect more out of Jose Alvarado, and they just haven't, been able to do it, and Ranger Suarez, in whatever role the Phillies have asked of him this season, has been pretty good in it. So I think that with the the consistency that he has shown this season, that he's going to get this chance, and where there's really no reason for us to doubt him based on what he's done this season. Obviously, that could go off the rails, but you have to take it at face value at this stage of a season, and so I think that there's reason to believe that he can hold on to the job. Now, obviously, Phillies could easily be in sell mode over the next 12 days, even though the Mets have really let everyone stay in the race in the NL East, right? All these teams, Philly, Washington, Atlanta, definitely can all talk themselves into overtaking the Mets. In Atlanta, we're seeing them already with that Jack Peterson trade. Clearly, they think that they're still in the mix here. They're buyers. So that maybe complicates matters. But in a situation where Ranger Suarez remains in Philly, I do think that he is the closer for this team. Yeah, results have been great so far. Changeup's really good. Fastball, even with the extra velocity, doesn't grade out particularly well. But... Uh, definitely a guy that I would throw at least like a two to three percent bid on if I'm stuck in that need a third closer position. I, I still think it's Philly. Like we <laughs> just when you think that someone has settled yeah. in, they go out and get blown up, and then everything changes again. It's just one of those bullpens where I don't think we're ever going to be lucky enough to have that mm-hmm. that calm, consistent presence. At least not down the stretch this season. I think Suarez could be the closest thing to it, but I would look at him as more like a half closer than a guy that actually has the entirety of the job at this point. I want to bring up a guy we talked about last week again. Paul Seawald continues to pitch well. Uh, Kendall Graveman made a mess that he couldn't finish on Friday night. Seawald came in, cleaned up, and actually got the save. We've talked about Graveman as a guy that we expect to be traded at the deadline because Mm -hmm. Mariners should fall out of playoff contention in these next couple of weeks. So I just want to throw him out there again because he continues to pitch really well. The ERA sits at 138 and the whip a tick below one at 0.96. 44 Ks in 26 innings this season for Paul Seawald. He's been awesome. And I think the the, the concern here is that he gets traded too. <laughs> and like he could very easily get traded 
to a team that's looking for some setup help and looking for some back-end bullpen help. And suddenly, this uh, potential closer-in-waiting just becomes a, or remains a very good setup man. So I think that's the risk with Paul Seawald. But what are we talking? I mean, we're not talking it's going to take a huge bid to get him. Well worth the risk of him getting traded elsewhere and remaining this sort of player in the fantasy world for the type of pitcher he's been and the payoff that could be coming if Kendall Graveman does indeed get traded and Paul Seawald remains in Seattle. Because unlike Philly, if that does happen, I think Seawald pretty easily is the next guy up. And with the way he's pitched this season, we should have a lot of confidence in him pitching well enough to retain that job. There's also always the... Uh, factor of him being a good enough pitcher, getting enough strikeouts, getting good enough ratios that he can give you a little bit of value, even if he's not saving games or if he is sharing the closer's job. So there's a lot to like here. The only real risk of him not having any major fantasy value is if he too gets traded and remains a setup man elsewhere. Yeah, I want to just put this one out there in a real simple toss-up. Suarez or Seawald for the rest of the way in leagues where they're both available. Give me Seawald because of those strikeouts. 44 and 26 really jumps off the page. Yeah, stuff appears to be just a little bit better. Uh, One more possible closer in waiting that we're keeping an eye on is Anthony Bender in Miami. 35% K rate this season. Gets a lot of outs on the ground. He's got a 178 ERA. Uh, Plenty of Ks. It's not the elite like 15 Ks per nine that you get from a lot of closers, but nearly 12 Ks per nine so far this season with 40 strikeouts in 30 and a third innings doesn't have an issue with walks doesn't have an issue with home runs just looks like a guy that if he does in fact take over he could be maybe the best Marlins closer that we've had at our disposal all season yeah he definitely could be I mean Yimi Garcia definitely had his run earlier in the year but been pretty shaky of late and shaky to the point where I wonder if he's even as attractive on the trade market as we assumed he was a couple of weeks ago. Maybe he's not. And so I would be a little concerned about that if I were going after Anthony Bender of Yimi Garcia remaining in Miami and figuring things out enough to stay in the closers role. But again, a guy who the uh, the rewards clearly, clearly and comfortably outweigh the short-term risk of him not taking over the closer job in a way that we're looking for. And you do like that 12K per nine, not the elite number, but still enough that he's getting you those strikeouts whenever he does come in. So I, I think he would be, I think he would definitely be behind Seawalt for me. And I think he would be behind Suarez too. If I'm hunting for saves and hunting for closer and waiting sort of players on the wire later today, but I'm not depressed if he's my, if he's my fallback. I, I'm not, you know, I still feel good about him being the guy who I get this weekend if I miss out on Suarez and Seawald. Yeah, good contingency option if you're just looking to fill out that ninth spot in your lineup and want someone that can help with the ratios and maybe eventually help you out with saves as well. Got a question here from Jim. I, I like that he included speed round. Speed round through all 30 <laughs> teams and who their closers are, respectively, on August 1st. Let's try this. So I'll, I'll, I'll okay. name the team and the current closer. We'll see if that guy right. keeps it. The Angels a roster resource. Yeah, I was going to say Angels, Rysel Iglesias. <laughs> are they going to trade him or are they going to keep him? I'm going to say Rysel's their closer. Yeah, I think they're still going to trick themselves into trying to contend. <laughs> uh, Astros, Ryan Presley, still the guy, I think, no after doubt. the break there. A's, still Lou Trevino, or do they trade for somebody? Uh, I'm going to say Trevino. Yeah, he's pitched pretty well. Blue Jays, this is one where I could see a change. I would say the Blue Jays yep. are on that short list of teams that could be acquiring Craig Kimbrell. So yep, Romano, sure. Dolis, those guys should be in the bridge. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Kimbrell goes to Toronto. I thought they needed a reliever Ooh. in the offseason. They tried to get one, Kirby Yates got hurt, and I think they're gonna go ahead and, and push some chips in and, and go after Craig Kimbrell. 
Would love to see that be the case. Seven and a half behind the Red Sox, six behind the Rays. It's an uphill battle for them, I think, to make the postseason this year. I think the acquisition cost is too high for Craig Kimbrell ultimately for them because there's going to be a lot of contenders for him. I stay. I say it's still Romano. I'm out of my mind, apparently. Let's go to the <laughs> Braves. I think Will Smith stays there. That They're probably just going to try and hang around. He's a multi-year deal guy, so probably not going anywhere. Uh, Brewers will still be Josh Hader. Cardinals, mm-hmm. I think, will still be Alex Reyes. Still lots of control left yep. on him. He's pitched really well. No reason to go away from him. We've talked about the Cubs. If they trade Kimbrel, Ryan Tapera, is he the guy or is he also traded? So it's someone else entirely. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm going to say that, <clears throat> excuse me, that that's what happens. That uh, Kimbrel definitely goes. Tapera also goes. And you know what? I'm going to say they just pull it all off. And Andrew Chafin goes as well. I think we're looking at Dan Winkler as the Cubs closer on August 1st. Dan Winkler. Oof, that's, but I think uh, that's the order. It's Kimbrel, Tapera, Chafin, Winkler is what you're looking at as the Cubs closer pecking order. Here's another one, the Diamondbacks. I mean, Joaquin Soria probably ends up in a contending bullpen. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd said back in the beginning of the year, J.B. Bacoskis should end the season uh-huh. as the D-backs closer. So I'm going to stick with, with J.B. Don't they have to throw him in there if and when they trade Soria? I mean, what are you doing if you're the Diamondbacks and you're not putting Bukowskis? I, what, I, I called it a couple weeks ago when we were talking about him, like literal high leverage situations because of just how we define that, but low leverage in the terms of how much the wins and losses actually mean to the Diamondbacks. So you get these low leverage, high leverage situations for a guy who could be your closer on your next contending team. No brainer that he should be the closer for this team on August 1st. Let's get to the Dodgers where Kenley Jansen has pitched really well this year. Kenley Jansen has not allowed an earned run since May 28th. Wow. I did not realize that. That, Yes, Kenley Jansen is the closer up for this team on August 1st. Yeah, he's been great so far this season. Uh, rolling through, we got the Giants. I think they would also be in the market to possibly add Kimbrel. Or this is my Kimbrel team. That's your Kimbrel team. That's that's probably yep. a better use of Kimbrel than the Jays. Uh, who else is out there as a closer? Maybe Richard Rodriguez is closing for the Giants because yeah. they, they don't they're not going away anytime soon. Like they're going to be good no. for a few years. Like a yeah. guy with control left also makes sense for them. That's true. That's true, but I think they swing for it now. They see what's happening with the Dodgers. They see what's happening with the Padres. Even though they're not going away anytime soon, they're also going to be running third in this division next year. So I think they make the swing this year and they go and get Kimbrell. And also, like the Padres are going to be in on Kimbrell, I think. And so even as well as Mark Melanson has pitched. And so not only would the Giants getting Kimbrell get them Craig Kimbrell, but it keeps them from going to the Padres too. So this is my team. I say that the Giants make the big move and they land Craig Kimbrell. He's closing for them on August 1st. So Emmanuel Class A has had three blown saves in his last four appearances. ERA still at 213, WHIP still at 129. I would assume it's James Karinchak if they just mm-hmm. make a change internally. I don't think they're trading any of those guys away. No, Am I no wrong to assume it's one of those two guys the rest of the way? I, I think you're definitely right to assume it's one of those two guys the rest of the way. And I do think that I would my bet would be on Karinchak getting more opportunities. I don't think either of them is going to be the sole closer in Cleveland the rest of the way, but I bet Karinchak gets more opportunities. All right, Seattle, we just talked about. Paul Seawald, I think, is the guy. Let's put Kendall Graveman on the Giants. That's that's the guy I'll, I'll put on the Giants <laughs> instead of Richard Rodriguez. That's Because uh, Graveman's been in Toronto before. They're not going to go down that road again, so I think San Francisco mm-hmm. is Kendall Graveman's new home. Uh, Marlins, we talked about just a moment ago. Let's say Anthony Bender, just because of all yep. the, the shuffling Agreed. happening there. Edwin Diaz, is he still the closer for the Mets on August 1st? I mean, this could be another place for Kimbrel, I suppose, but uh, I will say Edwin Diaz sticks. It's it's Diaz. If without a trade, it's Diaz. There's no internal takeovers here. 
a walk-off grand slam last night against the Pirates. Back-to-back blown <laughs> saves. Why does he do this? He looks so good for a stretch. He had a 286 ERA and a 107 whip after his outing on July 10th, and now he's at 417 and 123 because of six yeah. earned runs allowed in his last two innings. It's so frustrating. He should not get hit like that. Uh, how about the Nationals? Brad Hand still closing on August 1st? Yeah, I'll say Brad Hand. Could trade him, but uh, definitely no internal takeover. Give me Brad Hand as the next closer. I think their core is old enough. Like they, Obviously, they have Soto and Turner as part of that core, mm-hmm. but like the other part of the core is so old, they're going to try and keep adding a little bit. So yeah. I'll, stay, I'll stay on the, the Hand side of that one, too. Orioles, does it even matter? I mean, like they just mix and match so much. Like Paul Fry is probably going to be gone. Yeah. If it's Sulzer or Valdez, I'm not that excited. If it were Dylan Tate or Tanner Scott, that'd be pretty interesting if they could lean on one of those guys. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll, it would be. Um, God, it, it, we, it's not going to be a primary guy. I will, I'll say that Sulzer gets the majority or a plurality. And no one's going to even get a majority of opportunities. I think the best you can hope for is a plurality, and I'll give that to Sulzer. I'll go Tanner Scott just to be a little different. Let's go to San Diego. Mark Melanson still closing on August 1st for the Padres. It's Melanson or Kimbrell, and I'll say they don't get Kimbrell and Melanson's closing. Phillies, we just talked about. Suarez, the primary guy, even if he's not getting all the saves. Yep, I'm comfortable going that route. And then Richard Rodriguez in Pittsburgh, gone. He has to be gone, right? And so what we're looking at... What, like uh, uh, Bednar or Kyle Crick? I'll say Bednar is the closer for the Pirates on August 1st. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there on Bednar. I think he makes a lot of sense. we got to put Rodriguez on a different team, I think, as we keep moving through. The Rangers, Ian Kennedy, probably gone. So mm-hmm. where do they go? Yeah, I mean, Ian Kennedy is, uh, I would say, a lock to be traded. Um, I mean, Joely Rodriguez, that was uh, when we talked to um, – Levi Weaver, our Rangers beat writer, a couple of months ago, I want to say it was at this point. That was who he pointed to. Uh, so I will ride with that on-the-ground knowledge and say Joely Rodriguez ends up closing for this team. I hope it's someone like Demarcus Evans, health permitting. That would be great. That would be a lot of fun. That would be a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. The <laughs> Rays, I mean, geez, I, is there ever an answer <laughs> to that question? Uh, yeah, right? There, there just isn't. Diego Castillo <laughs> probably has the Primary, larger yeah. share, but yeah, yep. still still sharing Matt Barnes in Boston got that extension so he's the guy there mm-hmm. Cincinnati I think they another might another one you know what Cincinnati could be the team maybe they add Richard Rodriguez they could they definitely could be the team that adds Richard Rodriguez but what are they how much are they yeah they're six back of the Brewers and they obviously are not deluding themselves into thinking they're contending for the wild card in the National League so I don't know, like maybe like they're I, I just don't see them taking on uh, a significant trade. Not that Richard Rodriguez is going to have a huge acquisition cost, but someone's going to be more desperate than them. We are. We really are missing out on Richard Rodriguez's team. I will say that I feel like wherever he goes, he's probably going to go as a setup man, though. But uh, I'm going to say Lucas Sims, as long as he can come back in early August, like they're anticipating, I'll say Lucas Sims gets the majority of the opportunities there. Yeah, I'm on board with that if he's, in fact, healthy. Uh, the Rockies, mm-hmm. Daniel Bard, probably still there. They could go to mm-hmm. Carlos Estevez or Michael Givens. But Givens could also be traded. So I think Estevez yeah. probably is the most likely to be closing on August 1st if those guys move as expected. The Royals are another shrug emoji team with their closer yeah, situation. Totally. Like, uh, Josh Stamont's the guy that should be closing, I think, mm-hmm. longer term. So I'd give him the upper hand. But I think that's a, a shared situation as well. How about the Tigers? Fulmer's probably going to get traded if he's healthy. Gregory Soto's been getting a lot of saves. I don't think they want to trade Soto right now. He's got lots of years of control left. 
Yep. So my lean is that Soto's probably their closer on August 1st. Totally with you. Totally with you on that one. And I think, you know, Fulmer is making the recovery on the timetable they were expecting. So I do think he gets traded and Soto's got the closer's job essentially locked down. I think the Twins, they have one more year of Taylor Rogers before free agency. So he could get traded. People don't talk that much about it because he's mm-hmm. expensive next year. If they trade him, it's Tyler Duffy. I think Hansel Robles would be gone too. He's a free agent at the end of the year. I don't think they're going to trade Rodgers, so I'm not stashing Duffy everywhere at this point. But I, I do like him if he gets the opportunity. White Sox, Liam Hendricks, that's pretty easy. And then the Yankees, is it still a Roldis Chapman, given what we've seen <laughs> in recent weeks? I think it's still a Roldis Chapman. We've done this dance with Chapman before where he has a couple of bad outings and he gets sat down for a little bit. The Yankees have the luxury of being able to do that because they have guys like Chad Green and Zach Britton, but... Chapman's going to be this team's closer. No doubt about it. Seems like it, but uh, hopefully that helps some people out there. Good question, Jim. Speed around all 30 teams and who we think the closers are going to be when the dust clears after the trade deadline. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, now is a great time to get one. $3.99 a month gets you in the door at theathletic.com slash podcast On Twitter, he's at mbeller. I'm at Derek Van Riper. We're back with you on Tuesday with Under the Radar. 